It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Podcast presents Brett Baer's All-Star Panel. America's got to be in the lead if you want to deal with these threats. We're going to lead. The morning is over. The shiva is done. And if you're a conservative, you should be optimistic. You know, my main priority right now is making sure that it delivers for the American people. We have to make our country great again, and I will do that. I think the president gets criticized by people all the time for the stuff he says, by people who ignore what he does. Now, Fox's chief political anchor, Brett Baer. The Republican field for the 2024 presidential race is getting crowded. Six candidates already announcing their candidacy with former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, former Vice President Mike Pence, and North Dakota Governor Doug Burgum all expected to announce their runs this week. I hear Chris Christie's coming in. He, he's at, he, was at, he was at 6% in New Jersey, which is, I love New Jersey, but 6% approval rating in New Jersey. What's the purpose? And he's, he's polling at zero. And new concerns are being raised on the Democratic side of the 2024 equation as House Republicans look to hold FBI Director Christopher Wray in contempt of Congress for not handing over a copy of a file pertaining to details of an alleged bribery scandal involving then-Vice President Joe Biden during his tenure there in the Obama administration. For a conversation on this and more, we bring in our panel. AEI senior fellow and founding editor of the Washington Free Beacon, Matthew Connetti. Fox News senior political analyst, Juan Williams, and Fox News audio political anchor and Washington correspondent, Jared Halpern. Uh, guys, let's start first with the uh, the addition of additional GOP candidates. Um, Chris Christie. Listen, we all know he has a reputation of not leaving anything uh, that he doesn't say, and he kind of swings for the fences, and he's already saying, Jared, that he's going to go directly at the former president, uh, Donald Trump. He is, and I think it's going to be interesting to see now as this race starts to develop and, and the field starts to kind of become a little bit more clear. Um, what's the strategy? It, it's clear that, that Chris Christie's strategy, or at least his aim here, is to try and uh, prevent uh, Donald Trump from becoming the nominee. That is clearly the aim of some of the other Republicans who are now in this field. As this race starts to develop, as polls start to maybe become a little bit more clear, and as we maybe even start to see some results in these early states, I'll be curious to see if, um, you know, I don't know if you want to call them alliances, but but some sort of um, coalition start forming to, to try and coalesce, um, you know, their lanes of voters into a much bigger block. Because the challenge, certainly for any Republican in the race as it stands today, is the formidable uh, support that the former president has a a a bottom of uh, probably what Brett thirty thirty five percent amongst uh, right. uh, Republican voters that that's a huge swath of voters uh, to try and overcome in a crowded primary field. Matthew, that is true, and the numbers don't lie on that front. However, we have seen some softening of the former president's numbers in Iowa, in particular, and you're probably going to see. Florida Governor DeSantis and former Vice President Mike Pence parked themselves in Des Moines and Sioux City over the next months. 
For sure. And of course, uh, Christy uh, will probably be parking himself in New Hampshire, where he's uh, making his campaign announcement uh, this week. Um, I think Christie's interesting. He's really in the race uh, to attack Trump uh, and to a lesser extent, maybe to attack DeSantis, but really to make an argument that Donald Trump should not be the Republican standard bearer in 2024. And it's going to be interesting to see whether there's an audience for that type of sharp talk. I think one challenge for Christie is will he be able to meet the requirements for the upcoming presidential debates? If your entire candidacy is premised on the idea that you're going to be the guy to really lay into Donald Trump in these presidential debates, and yet you don't meet the qualifications of having more than one and a half percent in the polls and uh, more uh, than 40,000 unique voters, uh, donors rather, the logic of your candidacy seems to me to disappear. And Juan, you can hear the former president calculating those poll numbers in a retort to whatever Chris Christie brings to Donald Trump. You sure can. And, you know, I mean, that's what uh, the former president had to say about Chris Sununu not running. Uh, Chris Sununu said that he doesn't think Trump should be the nominee. And I think just as you just heard from Matthew, that that's why Chris Christie starting his campaign in New Hampshire. But what Trump had to say was that Sununu's not running because he's nowhere in the polls. And he could have said the same thing about Chris Christie. The thing that's interesting, everybody seems to agree that Christie is there to attack Trump. But how do you do that effectively? You know, what is the political approach that will actually persuade Trump supporters that maybe it's time to move on. He may have some events that would help him. The pres- the former president, it looks as if he is likely to be indicted uh, on additional charges, uh, you know, of with regard to classified documents in the near term. Uh, and he's also facing another possible indictment in uh, the, over the 2020 interference in the county of the 2020 election vote in Georgia. But exactly how does that suddenly change the way that Republican supporters view him? It hasn't made a difference so far. Even appeals that say he can't win, that he's got all these troubles, all this baggage, you know, people saying, I'm going to be Trump. I'm just as strong on the conservative side, but I don't have the baggage. So far, it has not moved the needle. Yeah. And Jared, the the other question is, you know, in 2012, we saw the anybody but Romney, you know, coalition. And week after week, it changed. You know, there was Rick Santorum, there was Herman Cain, there was Newt Gingrich. um, And everybody had their their bite at the apple and their attractiveness in the polls. It seems like we're setting up to that. But at what point do we think that the more candidates are in, the better it is uh, for Donald Trump? And do we think that you know, as a as you saw with Joe Biden after winning South Carolina, there was a coalition, a coalescing of the Democratic Party to get mm-hmm. out of the race. Um, well, are Republicans like that? I mean, that was one of the criticisms, even looking at at um, twenty sixteen as well, when you had the, that sort of anti Trump uh, coalition of Republicans who sort of complained that there were candidates in that primary who maybe stayed in longer. Uh, than they should have. And that helped solidify the support for for Trump, especially once the primaries and, and voting started. And I think that's always a tough calculation for for candidates that, that are seeking uh, higher office. And I don't know if um, 
you know, what we learned about, um, you know, the Democrats, uh, the last cycle uh, helps that argument, right? Remember that uh, President Biden did not do well in the first states, did not do well in Iowa, did not do well in New Hampshire and was able to sort of uh, run the table uh, later on. Are there Republicans who think that maybe if they have a slow start in Iowa or New Hampshire, there's time for them to, to build on that kind of momentum in a way that, that the president was able to uh, a few years back. I, I'm not sure, but that's definitely going to be part of the equation, you would think, especially as this field uh, really starts to grow to a, a pretty sizable number. Yeah. And Matthew, you know, I have this interview with uh, the former president at Bedminster, his club in New Jersey, uh, June 19th, be an hour long and uh, probably spread over two nights. But uh, we'll cover all the topics uh, and the substance and the policy. There are obviously, as Juan mentioned, pending indictments uh, that may factor in. So far, we've seen anything legally that goes against the former president seems to almost firm up his base. But he's has a re- there are some real questions about the ones coming up uh, in regards to the handling of the documents, in regards to January 6th, and then you have the Georgia case in interference in the election. Uh, do you do you think other candidates are going to tap into that? Maybe it's a Christie that really goes down that road as a former U.S. prosecutor. Well, Brett, I think one thing we've seen so far is that when uh, Donald Trump has uh, legal action taken against him by Democrats or by Democratic-aligned institutions, uh, the Republican base rallies behind him. Uh, He tends to have a bump in the polls, and he benefits from the small-dollar donations, which has always been his bread and butter. I think if Republican candidates seize on any of these uh, activities or indictments as uh, specific means of critique of Trump, uh, the Republican voter base is likely to uh, go against the critic and not necessarily Trump. However, I do think it's been interesting to watch Governor DeSantis on the stump You know, he spent a lot of time delaying his entry into the race. He finally got into the race. He's finally on the stump. He's interacting with voters. And he's going about critiquing Trump in an interesting way where he is not calling Trump names. He's not going against him by name directly. But when he's asked to respond to some of former President Trump's criticisms of him, DeSantis responds forcefully. He responds in detail. He says, we need to get out of our culture of losing. We need an effective uh, chief executive in the White House. And we also need someone who um, didn't kowtow to figures like uh, Anthony Fauci during the pandemic. I think if there's a way to make uh, Republican voters reevaluate their support for Donald Trump, DeSantis is showing the way. Um, The problem, of course, is that there's so much support for Donald Trump in the Republican Party. Uh, uh, the problem for DeSantis, I should say, is there, there continues to be so much support for Donald Trump in the Republican Party that it was going to be, I think, a long, tough and ultimately two person campaign for the for the GOP nomination. Panel, we'll hold it right there. This is Jimmy Fallon inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. One one thing that is happening is that some of these ads uh, from the former president's super PAC are going after DeSantis. He's already spent more money than he spent in all of the 2022 midterms. 
uh, supporting Republican candidates going after the Florida governor um, in that the PAC money. But some of the things he's saying about mishandling of the COVID-19 uh, situation in Florida, about uh, Social Security and a vote to raise the, the Social Security age, some of these things just fact-checked uh, don't pan out. And he, you know, he hasn't really answered for any of that yet. Wow. You know, you put me in a box, Brett Bear, because, you know, it's like Matthew and uh, Jared were saying, you know, even when he's under attack and it's a legitimate attack, just as in the situation you put in front of me where he says something that does not prove to be true. It's no there's no evidence that it makes any difference to his supporters. They like Donald Trump. I I don't know what to say to you. Uh, because well, you're, I mean, right. you're a, a student of, of Donald Trump over the last few years. <laughs> Come on, Juan. <laughs> My gosh, you know, I, I feel for Brett Bear interviewing him because, you know, you're going to say to him something and say that that's the, and he'll just tell you, no, Brett Bear, no. And I mean, this is what he says to people on the debate stage. We're not sure he'll be on the debate stage in august but if he is i mean you can imagine then chris christie you know going at him saying this is what you did this is how you've taken us down this road we lost in 18 we lost in 20 uh you know there's no we lost again in 22 we should have done better maybe uh and and he's gonna say but that's not me that's not my responsibility and then you're gonna say well you are the party mr trump you now define the gop and he will take credit for that, but he won't take credit for any of the negatives. And his followers will say, we like this guy. He stands up for us. So where do you go with that? It's it's kind of a different political calculus than we're accustomed to. Yeah. Jared, first of all, on the debate stage, do you really mm. think that by August that the former president will choose because he's ahead in the polls to not be on that stage and the giant spotlight that a debate like that show, you know, offers candidates and that he let all of these other candidates yeah. just talk about him without him being there. I mean, Mitt Romney did it. He, yeah. uh, the former president did it in 2016 once, uh, on one debate. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's sort of like a backyard, you know, bug zapper, you know, it's, it's in the corner of the yard and the bugs want to avoid it, but they're drawn to it. I don't know. That's that's my thought on it. I think what will be interesting about the calculation, and it's not just a calculation for former President Trump. I think all of the candidates it isn't one of the RNC stipulations that they have to sign a, a pledge to support the eventual nominee. Um, right. That became so an how's issue. How's that going to work? That became if an Chris issue. Chris Christie says he's not going to support Donald Trump. He's up by, you know, double digits. Mm hmm. And he so, becomes the, or or larger, and he becomes the GOP nominee. You know, how could he sign that paperwork to go on the stage? It became an issue in, I mean, you asked the question in 2016 of all the candidates, as I recall. Um, yep. So it's not the first time candidates have had to sort of broach that question, but that's he certainly one of the, the it sounds Donald like Trump a DRNC's button He, he eventually place. signed that pledge. Yeah. What do you think, Matthew? Uh, I don't know, Brett. Uh, I think eventually Trump will go to the debates. Uh, I think the debate at the Reagan Library, uh, he may not choose to join out of his personal animosities um, uh, toward uh, some of the figures associated with the Reagan Library and Foundation. Um, but the other debate, um, 
he he might be inclined to 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 join. Uh, there there's a question about whether people would pay attention to the debates if Trump didn't participate. You know, we, we recently had in Iowa a big gathering of all the non-Trump Republican candidates, even those who haven't officially declared yet. Um, uh, our friend Byron York attended, said it was like a blast from the past, uh, po- politics from before the Trump era. And yet, uh, I don't think it got much attention simply because Trump didn't participate. The the, the dumb dynamic in this primary is that Trump is ahead in the polls in a major way. He has a lot of money. He has He's ahead in the endorsement race. He's beating some of his challengers in their home states at this point. All which says to me that, can I see someone defeating Trump? Sure. Uh, but uh, he's entering the heart of the election cycle in a commanding position in the GOP. You know, Chris Christie is saying that he's going to go, you know, head on and really take swings and and take him on. Uh, Tim Scott, Juan, is, is kind of doing the nice guy approach, the humble uh, optimist, the shiny city on a hill. And he appeared on The View and had an exchange with um, with Sonny on The View that uh, got a lot of attention, a lot of praise in Republican quarters, at least. Yeah. I mean, clearly, Tim Scott is uh, a, a breath of fresh air in terms of Donald Trump type politics. He's not about grievance or anger. In fact, he's saying, you know what? Uh, we've made progress on race relations in this country. I think we need to heal this country. We need to bring ourselves together support each other. I mean, it's a it's a very uplifting message. Now, on the race stuff, which was what got attention on The View, and he invited that encounter. He was advertising that he was going on The View to Republican audiences to say he's willing to go into, you know, the chamber and battle uh, the liberals. And th- what came out of it, I think, was a sense of his view of American history is that he is not an exception. He pointed out that there, you know, his success as a black man in America is in keeping with the fact that we've elected a black president, that we've had a black, I think, two black secretaries of state, the secretary of defense is black. That was his contention. Almost as if to say, we've made so much progress. Why don't we talk about the progress and move on? I think the way it hits audiences that may be a little more diverse, and certainly if you're on the left, uh, is, wow, he's avoiding this time. He doesn't want to talk about continuing racial issues in America. Even if you see that we have made tremendous progress, there's no getting away from differential outcomes in terms of education, income. I can go on, health and the rest. Um, but that's not what he thinks. I, I, I think he's made a political calculation. That's not what the Republican base wants to hear. It's an overwhelmingly white base. And he's saying, listen, there's an opportunity here to say to people, black or white, we've made progress. Let's build on that progress and not focus on the continuing issues that separate us. It's a very yeah. intriguing approach. And I I don't know if it'll work. We'll see. But I mean, Juan, this is a guy who led the charge on enterprise zones to help African-American communities and investment in those communities. He led the charge for a bipartisan effort on judicial reform and uh, jail reform that essentially was given the Heisman Award by the Obama administration and Democrats because they wanted the issue ahead of an election. So 
he has some legs to stand on on fighting for, you know, um, minority communities and just talking about it differently, doesn't he? I think he does. And also, I don't I don't know if you know, him, but he's a very nice man. And so, yeah, there's a lot there to like. And he's raised a good amount of money for not being Donald Trump in this race. You know, the, the question, if you're asking about from the liberal perspective, really comes yeah. down to one big issue, because he you're exactly right when you speak about his work on enterprise zones after Charlottesville. He's the guy who went into the Trump White House and said, Mr. President, he's not he was not happy with the president's comments. But, you know, when it comes down to police reform after George Floyd, there was so much pressure on him as the one black Republican to try to get a deal done. Uh, Senator Booker and others were right there. But when it came to qualified immunity uh, for the police, he he just wasn't willing to budge. He wasn't willing to put himself on the line and go to Mitch McConnell, the leader of Republicans in the Senate, and say, you know, Senator, we have to get this deal and we have to take the risk of offending some of our base in order to make a larger statement. And I think there are lots of people who feel that he wasn't willing to stand up in a critical moment. But that's open to debate. I know there's some people who say, oh, no, uh, the Democrats didn't want a deal because they can continue to campaign on it. But uh, that's something that I think irks a lot of uh, people who are looking at him. One last quick note. I think if he's still in the race, I think he could end up as Trump's running mate. And I think if that's the case, you would see some numbers increase in terms of black support for Trump. Can you believe I just said that? Yes. I <laughs> well, we'll, we'll save the tape. Um, Jared, last thing. Uh, on the Democratic side, there are still these stories. And I'm not talking about in the New Republic. I'm not talking about in, you know, uh, any other kind of publication, all different kinds of publications about the president's ability to do his job and to campaign and to go forward in another term. Uh, the White House is dealing with this constantly, and he has not been out campaigning. Do you think this goes away and that the party comes together, or do you think that it fractures further? Um, obviously, they have RFK Jr. and Marianne Williamson, but they're not uh, saying they're going to debate. Yeah, I think it probably comes together, particularly once the Republican race becomes more clear, because then you, uh, you know, voters then and, and Democrats in particular kind of have like that that choice. Right. It's an A or B option. And so that seems to bring the Democratic Party together. It certainly was what uh, benefited uh, President Biden uh, against uh, former President Trump last go round. Um, and, you know, I wonder what the campaign strategy looks like, because so much of what the, the White House points to and the campaign points to are the results. They say, look at the the bipartisan legislation, look at the nonbipartisan legislation. Uh, President Biden is doing a lot of events uh, here at the White House, these sort of official events in the Rose Garden or the East Room that tout those accomplishments. Um, and that seems to be the message that they seem fine with. I'm sure we'll see the president out on the campaign trail at some point, but um, it seems like it's a little bit of a different strategy. And, and listen, I think that's always the power of the incumbency, right? Wherever the president goes, there's going to be cameras that follow and you've got that seal right in front of you and, and you've kind of got that institutional um, home field advantage. And and right now it seems like the White House seems uh, in the reelection campaign seems pretty pretty content to rely on that for the time being we'll see how sustainable that is but if the um if the argument is going to be look at the results look at the accomplishments legislatively um, a lot of that seems to be able to be done here from from the white house 
Yeah, it'll be a different campaign, though, Matthew. Mm-hmm. Last word. Um, it won't be, you know, the COVID-19 from the basement. You no, know, Biden had an advantage in 2020 because he could campaign from his basement and let Trump take up all the attention and the headlines. And Trump was happy to do that. Uh, 2024 is going to be a different story, Brett. Biden is the president. He is the incumbent. He has a record. And he won't be able to hide from deep, widespread concern over his ability to do his job in his second term. All right, panel, thanks so much. Now for a bit of history. June 6, 1944, Allied forces stormed the beaches of Normandy, began the liberation of France from Nazi control. The invasion force included 7,000 ships and landing craft manned by more than 195,000 Navy personnel from the Allied nations. Allied forces led by General and future President Dwight D. Eisenhower were able to secure the beaches of Normandy by the end of August 1944, had pushed Nazi forces out of Paris. That'll do it for this week. You can hear more of this series at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Make sure to leave a rating and a review. We want to hear from you. For Matthew, Juan, and Jared, I'm Brett Baer. We'll see you next time. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts and Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. And join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table to Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts.